0: Yeah, g'day, mate, you're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast.
1: On the 21st of May, Australians took to the polls to decide who would control the federal government for the next four years. The election saw a landslide collapse from the Liberal National Coalition, and Australian Labor Party leader Anthony Albanese was sworn in as Prime Minister on Monday. Yesterday I spoke with Dr Maria Taflaga, Director of the Australian Politics Studies Centre at the Australian National University, about some key insights into, explanations and early analysis of the election results in both the Senate and House of Representatives. While a few electorates are yet to report the final tallies, incumbent Prime Minister Scott Morrison conceded to the Australian Labour Party uh, leader Anthony Albanese. What does this big swing against the Liberals represent and why have we seen it?
0: Um, So so this is actually um, a very significant election result um, in Australia. This, uh, according to the latest analysis, represents the lowest uh, seat share that the Liberal Party has held in the federal parliament since the party was formed in the uh, mid-1940s. So I guess this is another way of saying um, that it is a real disaster uh, for the Liberal Party. They have lost... uh, the seats that really make the Liberal Party of the Liberal Party, if you we, if we put it like that, um, the sort of traditional voting base uh, and, and, more importantly, the fundraising base of this party, the, the places or parts of the country um, in which, uh, until very recently, all of its prime ministers uh, and senior ministers were um, drawn from. Uh, so, yeah, it, it represents a very significant Uh, shift in Australian politics. So it'd be really interesting to see what the uh, sort of more in-depth analysis from, for example, the Australian electoral study uh, kind of uh, reveals uh, later on uh, as to why it is the case that we have seen this outcome. But looking at, I guess, the sort of earlier results, um, we can point to a couple of factors. The first being that... uh, we have seem to have kind of come to a a major sort of shift in the attitudes, certain cohorts of uh, voters, particularly uh, female um, voters, who have uh, over time slowly been more likely to kind of uh, vote for left-wing parties in Australia, but uh, very recently um, with the rise of these, uh, what we kind of call teal independence uh, in Australia, uh, the the, the ability for, I guess, long-term Liberal Party voters in uh, traditional safe Liberal seats have had an alternative to Labor to vote for, right? So um, these are voters that are very unlikely to vote for Labor or want to vote for Labor, but given the alternative of an independent, um, uh, you know, were, were able to sort of switch um, their vote. And this was driven by several kind of uh, policy issues, which the last government really struggled to um address in a way that was satisfactory to this kind of cohort of voters Uh, and they were uh, action on climate change which the coalition has um really politicized uh for a decade now the second being uh how uh women's uh, sort of safety and treatment in society is, uh, was was treated. The, the government uh, faced several scandals last year related to the behaviour of uh, people within Parliament, whether it be MPs or uh, staff, um, uh, which all kind of centred around uh, alleged rape allegations by a former staffer, Brittany Higgins, uh, in, in the first week of her working in Parliament House. Uh, and the government really struggled to respond to, uh, I guess, the sort of the specific allegation raised by Ms. Higgins and previous allegations raised by other staff, uh, and then I guess the sort of broader issue around women's place in in society. Uh, you know, Morrison famously said that, you know, it was only after talking to his wife um, that he realised that he needed to treat this issue, uh, you know, in a more sort of serious way and not as a sort of, I guess, just, you know, political politically you know as as a sort of political problem to go away and the third is an integrity commission Um, there is a growing uh, perception amongst voters that the way public monies were spent by the former government uh, were either wasteful or uh, just corrupt uh, in terms of the uh, allocation of public monies and the processes um, which underpin those. So we had several scandals um, relating to the allocation of funds for community projects like uh, pools and uh, car parks and the like, Uh, or also the purchase of land for uh, the international airport that we built in Western Sydney. And total together, these funds amounted to billions of um, dollars of uh, funding uh, which in which order to general reports increasingly uh, found were allocated on the basis of the government's uh, perceptions of its political uh, fragility in certain seats uh, often overturning decisions on merit made by the sort of um, statutory authorities or uh, you know Government bodies that had assessed uh, these payments. So these these three issues were highly salient and relevant in these, um, I guess, teal seats where the Liberals have kind of lost their their heartland. Uh, but we also saw shifts by younger voters in other Liberal-held seats in places like Brisbane um, to move to the Greens. Uh, Here we think some of these issues relate again to climate change, but also things like home ownership, which is becoming increasingly difficult for younger Australians. So there was a whole host of issues, some of which related to the length and age of the government, the inability of the government to respond to key policy uh, issues, and uh, in some cases, um, just uh, arrogance uh, uh, of the government and dislike of the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison.
1: So as you said, um, the Greens made some key gains uh, in, in a number of Queensland seats, um, and they, but they also took a, a risk in directly challenging the ALP in, in some of these key electorates like McMahon and Brisbane. Um, why did this pay off?
0: Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, the, the Greens have actually been challenging Labor um, for a long time now. You know, uh, I guess the sort of reckoning that the Liberal Party is facing right now is actually. Um, something that the Labor Party had to grapple with 10 or 15 um, years ago. As to why it has paid off, uh, the honest answer is uh, we don't know as yet, uh, but I suspect um, once we we get this kind of... Um, Better data, um, and we can kind of actually look into you know correlates that we think might be driving this result. Um, it, it may be a combination of cl- uh, climate change and, and housing affordability. Those seats in Brisbane, uh, there are a lot of um, renting. Uh, there are a lot of people who rent in those uh, seats, and so the average age. Uh, might be a lot younger there uh, and these are people who are unlikely to feel that they can own a home um, and you know and that's a a kind of key factor that flips uh, young voters from being Labor or Greens voters to being coalition voters so without access to that kind of um, life transforming asset acquisition um, that, that might be a, a key key reason.
1: So um, talking about kind of the youth there for a second, because obviously social media is uh, seen as, as kind of a platform of the youth, and social media commentator and comedian Friendly Geordies has been a significant thorn in the side of the Liberal campaign for some months now, and he has international reach. How has social media really played a role in determining this election?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, look, I think social media is a... It's become like a, a an important channel for um, the way people gain uh, news. Um, I don't think this is just for young people now. I think this is across the board. Uh, you know, the, the Liberal Party congratulated... Um, itself on uh, winning the last election uh, by, you know, through the use of uh, boomer memes on, on Facebook, um, for example. Um, look, I imagine Friendly Geordie. Geordie's has a um, particular appeal amongst uh, certain media Uh, social media users like on reddit for example or youtube um but i i I can't say he would have a big influence for for the instagram crowd for example um but yes he he has uh he has certainly courted controversy um not just at the federal level but he's also you know had quite a few dust ups with the new south wales um coalition government and uh parties know this about social media and so they do Uh, increasingly direct uh, more of their uh, advertising budgets uh, to social media uh, and do engage in uh, micro-targeting. So, for example, Labor uh, apparently put a lot of effort into micro-targeting around waiting times for for GPs um, uh, in specific uh, electorates in Australia, which was not part of its sort of national headline campaign or its TV ads.
1: Unlike New Zealand, which got rid of its upper house in 1950, uh, Australia is a bicameral system and the Senate has seen no clear majority uh, in the results that have come through. What will this mean for Australia and what likely outcomes are there?
0: Oh, well, that's a great question. I mean, I think what's kind of important for um, New Zealanders to understand, I suppose, is that Australia hasn't really had a majority in its Senate with the exception of the last Howard term between 2004 and 2007 since 1980. So Australians are used to governments uh, not having a majority uh, in the Senate or frankly anyone having a majority in the Senate and Australians like it that way. So, uh, you know, this is one of the ways in which they feel that they, that, that they can add extra accountability um, into the system, particularly because we don't have your MMP system. Uh, so coalition governments are, you know, even though ironically the Liberal National Party is called a coalition, are um, comparatively uh, rare and uh, are really slowly coming to be seen as a legitimate way to actually form a government uh, in this country. What is interesting about the Senate results this time around is that the Liberal Party seems to have suffered quite a few um, losses, uh, potentially up to five Senate spots, which is a lot uh, in our system. Uh, And it looks like the Greens may hold the balance of power or they may hold it with um, a a wider crossbench that are sort of more progressive leaning rather than um, right leaning, which is the sort of configuration of the Senate at the last... In the last uh, parliament. So uh, this basically gives the Albanese government, which may be in minority or more likely in majority, a range of potential minimum winning coalition partners, uh, in which to push um, legislation through the House uh, and and uh, and the Senate as well. So uh, it should be a fairly productive um, Senate. Uh, giving giving the government uh, more scope to make um, deals that it's probably more comfortable with.
1: This election comes at a really interesting time for Pacific relations. It was only a few months ago that uh, AUKUS was signed and uh, the United States became the key partner in Australian nuclear submarines. And of course, China recently signed a defence pact with the Solomon Islands. What will the introduction of the Albanese government mean for the security arrangement in the Pacific?
0: So I would I would say that, Broadly speaking, the position between the Labor Party and the coalition in substance rather than rhetoric is, is very similar. There's, there's really not that much difference between the two major parties. Had the uh, had the Labor been in office last term, perhaps AUKUS might not have eventuated. Um, that, but, you know, but I guess what I would sort of say is that uh, Labor rhetorically is uh, not so keen to i guess be as bellicose as the coalition uh, has been to date and we've already seen some movement to sort of effectively try to normalize relations between australia and um china there was a, a sort of a, a press release from the sort of chinese government congratulating albanese on his when um, which was responded to from from the Albanese government, kind of with an openness to uh, I guess normalising relations, but uh, you know he did call on the Chinese government to rescind the sort of trade bans that are across a bunch of sectors currently, uh, which are specifically targeting um, Australian. Uh, goods, uh, wine, for example, coal imports, things like that. Um, and so I guess we should expect that that um, Labor can probably make some progress to uh, improving the relationship with China, but it's unlikely to see a major pivot in the direction of the overall uh, relationship or management in the Pacific beyond the fact that this government is far more committed to doing something about climate change, which will notionally improve its position in the the Pacific. But it's actually not clear that Australia intends to do anything or to to really improve its um, standing in the Pacific, that kind of remains to be seen. So we can only hope that the Australian government will will take these relationships um, far more seriously and less for granted.
1: So one final question, and we're kind of pivoting now to a more microcosmic view. Um, the curious case of Christina Keenly, obviously, who um, made the tra- or attempted to make the transition from the Senate to the House of Representatives um, and failed to uh, keep the, a, a relatively safe Labour seat of Fowler, um, losing to the independent candidate. Um, what's that all about? Is, is, this, is this quite scandalous in Australian politics?
0: Uh, so that, so that, there's actually quite a lot of a backstory there. Um, and in some ways, um, Christina, well, actually not in some ways, Christina Keneally is the victim of factional politics within the Labor Party. So the reason why she transitioned from the Senate to the House was, was simply because she couldn't secure a winnable spot on the New South Wales Senate um, party list system. Uh, and that that spot was held by the the Shoppies Union, uh, which is a sort of socially Catholic conservative uh right right wing part of the labor party and the person occupying that spot deb o'neill um became a senator because she lost the seat of Dove um, I can't remember in which election. Uh, and there was some talk about her at, uh, attempting to recontest a seat uh, in on the central New South Wales coast. Anyway, she didn't do that. And so that left Christina Keneally in, in an unwinnable position. And so the right faction of the New South Wales Labor Party essentially found her the seat of Fowler, which was being vacated by the retiring member, Chris Hayes. And this upset uh, the, the what the local branches had wanted, which was to pre-select a Vietnamese Australian called tu Lee, uh, who was a, a local kind of worthy and a, a lawyer, um, you know, and a bright, uh, up-and-coming uh, new new thing. And so Christina Keneally was essentially kind of uh, parachuted, I guess, into a storm. Labor. Uh, especially New South Wales Labor, really has form on overriding local branches and their desires and parachuting in and imposing candidates on um, local branches. And in this case, they were unlucky enough that a independent candidate, Dai Li, um, was sufficiently uh, well known and well regarded in the community uh, that effectively Christina K- Keneally was unable to hold the seat because in a, in, a, in, a, in a seat very close by in Parramatta, a similar thing happened with uh, a guy called Andrew Charlton. Uh, he was imposed upon that seat, but he uh, was elected. Yeah, now, Steves, that was a Radio 191 FM podcast.
1: You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.